And, you know, a lot of those activities that we've talked about, the small the small town fairs and festivals and the plow days and whatever else it might be, they're really focused on celebrating the past a lot of times. Mm. And that's something yeah, it's that tradition and it's tradition <laughs> yes. and it's tradition and it's teaching kids to respect their elders and what people have had to go through and their struggles over time. And that's an important piece to, you know, raising our children yeah. is for them to be able to see some of those things and experience it. Men, this is a reclamation project. Manhood in the West is broken in our homes, in our cultural institutions, in the church. Real men have gone missing. We're here, a Protestant and a Catholic, to confront that reality with the wisdom and truth of our respective faith traditions. Join us as we move from mediocrity to mastery, from apathy to action, from failure to freedom. Join us as we seek manhood restored. Mighty men of valor, welcome back to the Manhood Restored podcast, where we plant flags settle down, grow roots, and carry on family traditions. Tonight, we have a great guest for you, Curtis Hamrick. Curtis, say hello. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. My name is Sheriff Chad Stolle, and I'll be your local enforcement officer for tonight's interview, faithfully executing the letter of the law with force if necessary, is my fully deputized co-host, Barney Neff. I mean, Ben Neff. I heard faithfully executing, and I was like, what are we doing on this podcast? Ben, are you uh, ready to read our guest his rights? I can read his bio. At least, yeah, at least okay. his bio. Okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> you have the right to remain silent. No. It's making me a little nervous now. Yeah, it, I mean, anything you say... Yeah can and will be used against you in the court of your wife, okay? So if you mention her on the podcast, then you, know, she'll, you could get trouble. We should ask. Case in point, I can attest to that. All right. Ben, before we move on, uh, do you have a Barney Fife voice? Oh, my goodness. Because you got a voice for everything else. I mean. I've never practiced Barney Fife. <laughs> okay. That'd be a reach. Oh, that, that'd be pulling it out of the... Right. If, if before the end of the what? episode, you feel like you could use that, you're, go ahead. You're darn tootin' right. I, I know, he's, he's just always yelling, oh, yeah. you doing that, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> I am... I don't, know, I don't know. He just shouts everywhere. His eyes get real big, I know. That's about all I know about Barney <laughs> Fife. Right? All right, here we go. Curtis was born and raised on a grain farm in Mercer County, Ohio, and has lived there his whole life, where he started working at a young age. He continued to work part-time on the farm through high school and college where he pursued a degree in business education from Wright State University and while teaching business and technology at Vantage Career Center, Fort Recovery Schools, and Parkway Local Schools over the past 20 years. Another teacher. Yeah. Former. Yeah. <laughs> right. He came to Parkway the exact same year I did. Oh, cool. So Curtis is currently serving as the executive director of the Auglaes Mercer Business Education Alliance, AMBI, right? Also known as right. AMBI, yeah. Which is a nonprofit organization that helps expose students to the great career opportunities that exist in Auglaes and Mercer County. He has been married to his wife, Kristen, for 15 years, and they have two children, ages 12 and 6. Welcome, Curtis. Thank you. Do <laughs> you have any idea what you're getting yourself into? <laughs> I have no clue. That's the way we like it. <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks for coming on, and um, it will become obvious, I think, to the guests or to the listeners why we have you on here today, Curtis, and um, like I was telling you beforehand, we did this episode, I led this episode called The Parochial Man, and it focused on how we as men can kind of like fight against our limitations, sort of like resent the fact that we're, you know, uh, stuck sometimes in our particulars. Um, 
And sometimes that means that we miss out on the things that are right in front of us. So I found it interesting when you sent me the bio that part of that bio that Ben just read is that you've been in Mercer County your whole life. Um, And I think that makes you an even better guest than I originally thought. So I wonder maybe we could start with that. Could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? You know, um, what it was that kept you here in Mercer County and sort of what, what it means to you to be a lifelong resident. Sure. It's uh, a lot of it's the family values that, you know, I was raised in a very strong Christian home and, you know, it's not like we weren't exposed to other areas and, you know, outside of Mercer County, but it always seemed to be such a safe and good place to live. And, you know, during those college years, that was a great opportunity. You know, the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence. And mm-hmm. that's one of the one of the things that most kids go through, through their career development and through schooling. And, you know, when you get away from our area and you start seeing some of the exposure to, like, some of the temptations and a lot of the crime and the pressures that exist outside of our area, it makes it look a whole lot better to come back and make roots where you grew up. Makes you appreciate Right. What you had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and can you speak to, you know, what about that Mercer County in particular? I know there's probably a lot of small towns across the country, but you know, well, one unique. of the things is the sense of community, uh, you know, being able to be in an environment where not only do you know most of your neighbors, but in some, in some fashion, you've, been associated with them either at church or community functions or through the school system. And uh, what really stands out is when people are in need, you see the benefits and the fundraisers Mm -hmm. and how everyone comes together and really rallies around families when they need it most. And you don't see that to the extent it is here in a lot of other areas. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll have friends. I don't know if you've ever had this where that you know maybe come in from a bigger city, Cleveland or you know Columbus or whatever, and if they're not accustomed to it, they'll see little things like uh, you know people pulling over to the side of the road for a funeral. Mm-hmm. I remember, and they're yeah. like, "What's going on over there? What, what, why is that happening?" And I'm sure again that happens in other small communities, but that's a typical example of the kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, another another comment I've heard, and this was one of my uh, college buddies, came up here, and the two things that he noticed was, one, it's really dark at night because there's no the street, there's no yeah. street light. <laughs> but the second thing that he noticed on the drive here from Dayton is he saw a couple of different broken-down vehicles, and he said people actually stop and – Ah. And help as compared to just zipping on by like, you know, <laughs> like he was used to seeing and, you know, that kind of, he's like, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And, um, I don't know if in particular you can speak a little bit to your experience growing up on the farm too. I don't know how much that had to do with you moving back. You know, is that what was something that pulled you to also? Yeah, it was, it was one of the factors, um, there were there was a time where I was teetering back and forth because you know when I did go to college to Wright State, it was um, when I first got there, classes hadn't even started yet, and I had called home and told Dad, "Bring the truck down and bring me home because this is not for me." And he said, "Wait it out until Christmas, and if you still feel that way, then you can come home, um, take classes locally." And I stuck it out, and it really wasn't as bad as I had thought it was once you started to adjust. But there was there was never an intent to stay in that area. I always planned to come back to the area. Uh, having the opportunity with the farm was probably one of the motivating factors. But uh, you know, through the student teaching experiences that I had in the suburban and urban areas. I knew that there was no way that I would be able to be in the education field mm-hmm. and be in one of those environments because I never felt safe. I never felt comfortable, but then the opportunity to come back home and teach computer networking at Vantage career center with students, mainly from Van Wert County, it just was 
a perfect opportunity that went together with having the farm. And I never thought twice about, you know, there was a couple other job offers at some schools closer to the Dayton area, but I didn't even entertain those offers at the time. Yeah. Heck, and being that close, I, I know a lot of teachers from my past that would, you know, parlay that summer time. And you're also, you also do some farming when you're an educator, right, Ben? Uh, yes. It seems yes. to work well, right? Together. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Other than the spring and the fall. When yeah. I was going to say, when you're, when you're a grain farmer, though, you really need off spring and fall. Yeah. So. Not so much summer. It's late nights and very mm. early mornings. <laughs> oh, yeah. So maybe not so much. Okay. Well, good. Um, and one of the other things I, th- I just thought about this, uh, and we were talking about it before we, we hit record, is that it's another thing you, people will say, I don't want to move back to the small area where I'm from because there's nothing to do, right? And and uh, I think at one point in time I was probably sang that song, but I also find that it's not true. It's it's that there's a different kind of thing to do, and if, especially summertime, there's about umpteen different festivals, fairs, carnivals that, and it's all a lot of times family oriented. Exactly. Um, but I, you know, I just, I just did that with my, with my kids and talk about, you know, something that, uh, West Liberty was, had a Labor Day festival and my mom is from that area, super small community. And they do this tractor thing where they bring in antique tractors every year. And we've done that off and on ever since I can remember. So it's the same setup, right? The same exact people set up the same exact spot. It's the same exact food. Everything like nothing's different. You could just like, it's a cookie cutter almost. But this year we went and we had a blast. Like the kids, it was, we were there from like, I don't know, 11 o'clock to seven 30 and the kids just had a blast. So even though it's, it seems mundane, it seems, you know, did you know, like I was driving along one day, um, down a random road in Mercer County and there were like, a field with a bunch of trucks. I was with somebody. And then out in the field were all these tractors. <laughs> Who knows if you were part of this or not, Curtis? It's plow, <laughs> called Plow Days. Oh, I've I've not participated. Yeah, you're but, familiar. But I've witnessed I, I this. mean, like, yeah. I couldn't even believe it when I heard it. I said, Plow Days? What is Plow Days? <laughs> and so this is like a huge deal for people. Yeah. And so they find a field that I think they had uh, probably wheat in it. I believe it just needed tilled up. And uh, so they you get said, all the. Just to clarify, you said wheat? Wheat straw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You said something else. Weed. Nice. Weed. I thought you said weed. <laughs> yeah, weed. No. <laughs> I was like, no, that, okay, that's this is a different kind of party. Okay, that's a different. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's so, a different kind of plow day. <laughs> yeah. Plow, yeah. <laughs> something. All right. <laughs> threw Ben off. All right. Well, yeah, that's that's rare right. to throw Ben they, off. They charge the, fee for it. The cost is too high. That's <laughs> just you throw me off. Is whether I told the joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the cost is too high. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, but I was like, you mean to tell me they get their antique tractors out. And so people will come there and they will bring their like old tractors and they will just plow into the family, get shirts and take pictures and yeah. post it everywhere. And I was like, oh my goodness. But what was so cool is you would see people, I was driving along and then you would see tr- people with their tractors and these families talking and connecting. It was so simple. Mm-hmm. It was relational oriented. Yeah. You know, who wasn't thrill seeking, although I saw a tiny bounce house. It was just, you could see his family focused, relationship focused. And in a way, I was like, how weird is that? And then I'm like, how cool is that? Yes. I mean, it just, <laughs> just, that you can unite under the fact that you are plowing dirt. <laughs> yeah. And you know, a lot of those activities that we've talked about, the small, the small town fairs and festivals and the plow days and whatever else it might be. They're really focused on celebrating the past a lot of times, and that's something yeah, it's that tradition and it's tradi- yes. and it's tradition and it's teaching kids to respect their elders and what people have had to go through and their struggles over time, and that's an important piece to you know raising our children yeah. is for them to be able to see some of those things and experience it. Like you know, the old fashioned farmer days is one of the coolest things because they get to see how things were yeah. done. 
50, 60 yeah. years ago. You the, plowed without <laughs> a cab and air conditioning and GPS? <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't have a, you know, with how wide a planter do you have now? Like, uh, we have 16 row, which is 40 feet. Yeah. But, you know, some of those early ones, there was a single row or yeah. two row. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine? And that would probably generate a lot of cool stories and stuff out of that, certainly, I'm sure. Well, we, we talked a lot in that episode about. You know, a particular particular of everybody's is you're born into a family, and um, and what's cool about y- your family business is that it's, it's generational. That's kind of what you're touching on here. Like you're passing the history down, and it's something that everybody shares and celebrates. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, working together, it, there's uh, with your with your father, you have a brother in it. Is that right? It's or? it's my father and my uncle. Uncle, and the three of us farm together. Okay. So. And this, I would be third generation Mm -hmm. and, you know, my six-year-old son, he's all about farming, which I think every little kid is (laughs) as they grow up, you know, whatever dad does is what they want to do. But, you know, it's a, it, a lot of that's a family pride type thing. I mean, you have something that you really root yourself in and, you know, it, it brings a sense of responsibility Mm -hmm. because you don't want to let down your family. And, you know, everything that you do, you're aware of the consequences and how that may reflect on the tradition of what your family's done for years and years. I can certainly relate to that with the agency, you know, um, it's, it's a reputation, right? Because there's a name on the front door, so to speak, right? Everybody that you're dealing with. So, and then that speaks a lot to what we, the concept of the parochial man, you're that almost forces you to be rooted in or grounded in, um, um, those particulars, you, you take pride in it. Um, so that's good. Uh, so this is what the, this kind of discussion reminds me of. I think of folks that grew up with me here and that did go out and sort of wanted to shake the dust off of the tiny town. Right. And, um, I do feel like, well, okay, well, some of them just, you know, they chose a career that took them away or whatever. And there's good reason for somebody or they met a girl right. yep. that took them away. But other times now it, you're talking about like country music, like oh yeah? leaving the small town, yeah. chasing the girl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could have just made a song there. Yeah. There's probably a dozen or so that <laughs> we could make one called the parochial man. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I've practiced guitar like five or six times now. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm see, see what you can come up with there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a song. The only reason I learned guitar, I'll just side note, there's only one reason I learned the guitar, all right? I want to sing the song to my kids called Your Personal Happiness. And it, and it goes like this. Okay. You might have mentioned Here this. we go. <laughs> me, me, me. Your personal happiness. Did you? Did you? Hang on, I'm not done. <laughs> it, it's not my priority. And that's basically the gist of the whole song. So is that so, the re- refrain? Uh, that's whatever. Sure, whatever that okay. is. Verse, refrain, chorus, bridge, everything. Oh okay. man, it's okay. So that's Simple. why I'm learning guitar. But maybe we could put parochial man in, or like, yeah. you know, just saying yes to whatever their needs are. Apparently. <laughs> so. Well, anyway, I, I just thought. Um, what, what do you say what, if, if some of these folks do have it a little backward where they're thinking, I need to get the heck out of here because um, this place limits me. This place is, is I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm, it's beneath me. I'm made for so much more and they're missing something that is right in front of them. Uh, and I don't know if I, I kind of, uh, I've heard this phrase, the brain drain, right? Yeah. And like, there's, this idea, I think even a young, young people today, maybe there's, there's just not something for me here. And that in order to be fulfilled and have meaning and purpose in life, I have to go find it somewhere else. So I want to be able to speak to even folks I graduated with because I've rediscovered that for myself coming back home. Yeah. And you know, there are some people that for, like you mentioned earlier, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's the career or whether it's the boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it might be. And, and, you know, they do leave and they go to the bigger city area and they do find that, you know, that they've really belong there, but, you know, to 
to go there for the sole purpose of, you know, that the town is beneath them or it's not good enough or there's not good enough opportunities. That goes back to that. The grass always looks greener on the other Mm -hmm. side of the fence. And, you know, that's a lot of what the work I do through AMBI is to help students understand before they make the decision to go off is that a lot of the things that they think they can only get in the larger urban areas are right here in their backyard. Uh, You know, a lot of the companies that are in small towns, the same types of positions are there, but it's more family oriented, smaller companies that really care about their employees and treat them as a person Mm. and not just a number. And we hear that like day to day when I'm talking with the leaders of a lot of the member businesses of AMBI, that's what they pride themselves on is if the school calls in the middle of the day because their kid has a temperature or they're sick, that they don't even think twice about letting them leave, go take care of things, and they can make up the time Mm -hmm. maybe on a Saturday, maybe stay a couple hours later one night. But they've found that their employees are more loyal when they're more family oriented and that benefits them as a business more than keeping them there when they have things that they need to attend to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of that, um, is almost like an ignorance to is it's ironic in a way that there's ignorance because I think some of those young people that want to go off and fly, they think, well, I need to get out of, away from these, these ignorant people. And you know, you know what, what makes that ironic is though, all the, all the opportunity that they want to chase out in the urban areas was right there, but they just had no idea. Right. And maybe that's naivete, just, just, you know, not realizing at that age, the things that are important, you know, that you're probably going to have to sacrifice some of those things like the family, um, when you do head off to the city. Right. Because the people that they're working for have probably left and went to those areas for that exact same reason. Mm. So they call it the shark tank for a reason because it's every man, woman and child for himself. And you know, when you work in an environment like that for long and you're always wondering who's trying to get your position and who you can trust and who you can't, that's a lot of what starts to bring people back to those smaller towns where, you know, they have some more security and more confidence in what they're doing. Yeah. Do you, do you talk to students on a regular basis where you would have like a pulse on like what's going through those young, young kids heads when they, when they think that, you know, they go chase something down. Yeah. A lot of it, you know, I think our schools are starting to do a better job, but it used to be that mentality that, you know, there's all these opportunities for you. And if you can dream it, you can do it. And, and then you mix that with, when you know the you, know, you go to watch any movie and the successful people are either in Chicago or New York or LA yeah. and somehow they make that connection that oh if i want to be successful that's where i need to go and it's it's not that they really strive to go there but they've just just a lack of information mm-hmm. or they've been misinformed And, you know, that's where the role of parents, teachers, career counselors, whoever it might be, to make sure that they're fully informed when they make those decisions is important. The cost of living in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, all those places, you know, um, just like uh, it's it's just crazy to think about, oh, yeah, your opportunities are there. And it's like you're paying more for less. You know, like when I just recently sold my house and they're like, you know, and where I'm at, it'd be like almost 50 per, or you know, almost double what what it is that you're charging for your house in my place just to live there. You know, stuff like that. Well, that's a great point. Uh, you know, a friend of mine from high school is a perfect example of that. Uh, he he grew up uh, farm family similar to mine. And he went to Miami of Ohio and majored in business and coming out of high school or coming out of college, he went to a career fair and there was an insurance company and in downtown Chicago and they offered him a position. And of course 
we're looking at, you know, this has been 20 years ago now, $80,000 a year and around college, right out of college and, and around, you know, around home, right out of college, if you got $35,000 a year, that was a good job. And he bid on it and moved to Chicago. And what he soon learned is making $80,000 in Chicago made him a broke man because he couldn't afford his own apartment. He had to have a roommate. And on top of that, he had it cost so much just to park his car monthly that he ended up giving his car up, leaving it at home and he had to walk or take a taxi everywhere. Mm -hmm. So that dream job turned Mm -hmm. into more of a nightmare really Mm -hmm. quick because he was completely unaware of just how drastic the difference was in the cost of living. And I was hearing a lot of that in the midst of COVID, like right in the throes of it where you had a lot of the young people who had gone off to the job in a New York city. Yeah. But those places you couldn't, you know, they kind of closed down. Right. Yeah. And, and they were having to work remote. So then they would move back to Ohio to some place that they could land, uh, probably just at a convenience sake. And, um, if you can't, you know, if you're downtown New York and you can't go to the restaurant, you can't do anything. Well, you might as well go back home. And I, I, at those times I was hearing stories, even, people I personally had contact with that were like, you know, I don't think I'm going back after, you know, after coming back and living here for a time, yeah. especially with, if the remote option was still available to them after things opened back up. Well, and you can live on like one acre out in the country or for the same price or less than a one bedroom apartment in yeah. New York city where you weren't even allowed to go anywhere yeah. and you're just stuck in it all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you can't at this point you can't pay me enough to go do that. So I I mean God has got to really like audibly clearly burning bush <laughs> you need to go here because you know for my own personal preference I'm not going back to that, you know. Yeah. And it's and if the food shortages come, I mean, you know where they're heading, right? They're going to head out of the city um towards where we are, you know, farm capital of the you know, Ohio right now. And so that's a that's definitely factors there of sustainability and stuff from a practical sense. Yeah, you can see that when you when you live in on either side of it, you can see such a contrast. I would I would imagine, right? Like just nowadays, after being back home for over a decade, anytime I'm going into the cities, I'm a wreck trying to drive. Like <laughs> I'm on just all nerved up over it. Oh yeah, I can't take it. But I remember back when I lived in Michigan up near Detroit and I'd come back, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, you know, thinking there's, it doesn't take me anything to go anywhere. Country song. Of Tim there McGraw was another song. Yeah. <laughs> Something about, you know, I live where the green grass, grass, green grass, grass, grass yeah, grass. watch yeah. my corn pop up in rows. Yep. <laughs> so, well, I wonder, uh, Curtis, if you'd speak specifically about the Ambi mission because, and talk to you, talk to our listeners about, you know, locally what's happening and what Ambie's trying to do with schools and businesses. Uh, cause I don't know, honestly, you know, the, the, the group has been together, um, you know, for how many years and, and the word still needs to get out there. Right. Yeah. The Ambie was formed, I believe it was in 2014 and it was a grassroots movement from some local business owners that were repeatedly finding themselves struggling to find, talent to fill positions and they were beating their head against the wall and said there has to be something better we have to do something different to help attract local talent and that's how the that's how the organization was born and the mission of connecting students with career opportunities locally is really um, been what we've really prided ourselves on since the inception and one of the things that it really, really helps is that stigma, especially uh, that was coming from a lot of the high schools, and that is that you have to go get a four-year degree and move away to be right. successful. So having some of the career fairs that we have and getting students in front of people who are successful, who are living in our communities, and really trying to get them connected on a personal level so that they can picture themselves in those same positions 
has really started to make things change. And, you know, it, it's also happening systemically when you look at a lot of the opportunities, the, the change from traditional production labor to more skilled trades Mm -hmm. that, the opportunities for someone who's willing to start at an entry level and go through the training that's available through these companies at the end of a four-year period, if they compare themselves to their peers that has just graduated from a four-year college, Mm -hmm. they may be not only out earning, but their wealth is significantly more because they've been working those four years and not paying for college because any of the training in college that they've done has been taken care of by the company. And my, my impression of it is that the, those, some of those fields too, um, are in such high demand in comparison to the guy who graduates with a psychology degree, let's say. Right. right? Uh, so you'd have that as a compounding factor. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was thinking when you mentioned your your friend that went to Miami of Ohio for business. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was got a lot of scholarships, but it's not cheap to go there and no. to spend four years to get a business degree, and you know, to plug into a local business and you know get working, and then they pay your way and you're committing. I, I think that's a great idea. You know, I, I I tell you, and I said this on here before, those who can't teach. And I said, I know it's true for one person because that was me. I didn't know what to do. So I went and taught and I didn't really understand life. I think really started to understand some, some things about life until I decided to start a little farm business. And then like, it was like, Oh wow. You know, there's so much from, you know, how life works. You just don't understand it in a classroom. And so to, it's, I think it's a disservice to kids even to go off to college there, you know, and, and it's their experiences. And even in college, it was my experiences outside of the classroom that were really the most beneficial for me, not what I was doing behind in those concrete walls. And I, I would attest to that. Like having been a teacher for five, six years, educators also live in somewhat of a bubble. Oh, yeah. Just the same way a kid or a student at a college might. And I take a job in the private sector as a salesman and I'm like thrown to the wolves, right? But it was also an eye opener. All of a sudden I'm getting peeks behind curtains and I'm like, these are people that I'm prospecting to sell insurance to. And I'm like, I had no idea this stuff was happening. The local chamber does this like an introduction program. It's called the leadership class that they do. And uh, I was just unbelievable. Uh, So yeah, putting yourself in this outside of a bubble, right? And I don't know, is, is that kind of, part of it too, that, that you need to open the eyes of educators. Yeah. And that's uh, one of the, one of the events that we do every year to help with that is the summer educator tours. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea behind that is that what the teachers see and hear, they take back to the classroom and it's twofold when students are starting to talk with them about, you know, what they might want to do for a career. They have this tool in their toolbox of the companies that they've seen and what types of positions are available within these companies. Mm-hmm. And it also helps them answer that question when Johnny says, when am I ever going to need this in real life? When am I going to ever use algebra in real life? Mm-hmm. My kid just that, said that, to me. that teacher yeah. can oh, say, let me answer well, that today. let me, let me answer that because <laughs> we went on this tour mm-hmm. and we went through the engineering department and they had more numbers and letters up on that whiteboard than you yeah. would ever imagine. And it helps bring that, you know, that real life connection to it. Okay. I'm going to have to answer that question because I went on tours of a couple places uh, in the area called JR, JR Manufacturing, I think, and in, in Recovery, Recovery yeah. and then Crown as well. And there might have been another one in there. And yeah, I had that same experience. So when kids tell me, when are we ever going to use this? And here, here's what I'll tell them. All right. You're, you're, you're never going to use this. That's what I tell them. I'm like, honest, that's a hundred percent truth. You're not, you're never going to use this. What I'm teaching you is way too easy. Yeah. I said, <laughs> you know, I'm isolating a subject down to very simple with one answer. I said, nope. And he said, you know what? We, I toured crown and I, I saw a machine called a fifth axis or something. I said that, that, you know what that means, guys, I'm teaching you coordinate planes that have X and Y. This was X, Y, Z, A, B, guys. It has five <laughs> coordinates. So what I'm teaching you, you know what? If you're paying attention, you'll be able to figure that out. Mm. You'll be able to do that. It gives you 
the basis to use it. Mm. All right. But this is just, you know, enough to get you started and, and to go off from there. But yeah, everything I teach is way too easy. I said, and you know, we'll do a part. We did problems about straw bales and hey, I said, way too complicated. You know, they're are way too easy. Like what I do is way more complicated than anything you ever would do in here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, it was, it was really fun to see just the aha moment with the teachers. Uh, We took a tour at Lincoln electric. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Lincoln electric, they do a lot of automation and, you know, design machines and systems to do things. And one of the things that this particular machine had to do is it had an arm that swung out and it had to hold a piece that weighed like 2,600 pounds and it had to move it from one spot to the next and set it down. And um, after everybody saw that, that's when we went through the engineering program. And luckily for the group that I was in, it was the lead engineer who was our tour guide. Mm. And he has this whiteboard and like you picture a school, you know, classroom whiteboard and it is full from one side to the end. And he said, you remember that arm that we just looked out out there? This is the calculations to see if the material that we're building it out of can handle the stress to be able to have that much weight out at the end. And, you know, the teachers ranged from, you know, fourth grade to your art teacher to there was a couple of math and science teachers, but the look on their face when they saw what, you know, it made that connection of just how much math and science goes into those things. Oh, yeah. It just blew them away. Yeah. You wonder even if at the level of, you know, educator school, uh, going to uh, teacher college, you know, that's missing from those kind of programs too. The real world application. Oh yeah, it's all conceptual in a textbook, and I know you go out doing your student teaching, but you're still stuck in the bubble, <laughs> in a way. My favorite was I got lectured in college about how lecturing was a poor <laughs> method for teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was it was imperative. I remember she had a little accent, you know. It's imperative that we do not lecture. <laughs> I'm going to spend today lecturing you <laughs> about <laughs> why it is imperative that you do not do this. You know, it's just like, oh my goodness. You know, from a, you know, so yeah, this isn't an education episode, but certainly, yeah, what we do matters. Your, your insurance, you know, you mm-hmm. obviously do calculations, numbers all the yeah. time. I've done three business endeavors, one in the tech realm, tons of calculations there, and then in the farming world, and then in real estate, and all of which have been crazy amounts of math, and everything I've ever learned has served me well. Even if it's some weird thing, it's all served me well and helped me in those realms, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder maybe if you could tell us stories where <clears throat> Ambie's had some successes. You know, and I think of the twenty under twenty, um, the where where you see those light bulbs go off for a kid. You know, a kid who's talented or is working hard and then finds his way back. Not maybe not back, maybe never leaves, but finds his way to to purpose and meaning here. Right. Um, you know, I could. I know you probably got how much some. time? Yeah, how much time do we have, Chad? <laughs> because we could, uh-huh. we could, I could go on for a long time with these, but. Uh, what you were alluding to the 20 under 20 awards, uh, we recognize 20 students under the age of 20, which, you know, hence the name mm-hmm. at that have found success both like educationally and they've extended that to the workplace. And what's so cool about those awards are a lot of the students who receive them, they might not be your like valedictorian salutatorian students they they may not be three sport athletes they they can be i mean we've had some that have been successful in everything that they do but for a lot of them it's that connection with work and finding their place in whatever environment they're working in and they've really succeeded and being able to recognize them in front of their peers is such a such a cool thing but a couple of them that have really stood out was um, one young man in particular uh, was a Vantage or not Vantage TriStar student, and he was in their automotive repair program, and he had a position at um, Buds, and upon graduation, a local dealership, local yep, our mm-hmm. local Chrysler dealership, he had uh, his 
ASE certified mechanic certificate and the whole, you know, he, he was Good. set up, he yeah. was ready to go. And one of the things that we always do with these awards is we like to do a little bio and then of each of the students and, you know, send that to the local newspapers and social media and so forth. And, um, we always, you know, want the parents' names and, um, this young man, I about get choked up when I talk about mm. it, but he, uh, he, he didn't live with mom and dad mm. and he didn't live with grandparents. Uh, somebody just took him in wow. and, um, for him to be able to find that success and be able to, yeah. you know, as an 18 year old, he was going to be able to live on his own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was just a, just such a good success story. And, um, we had a couple of them this year that were, uh, one of them was a young man from Coldwater uh, that had an internship opportunity at Reynolds and Reynolds, which is a local plant that does a lot of paper processing. They make like three part forms and pre-printed stuff that like, if you've, if you've ever gotten the pink copy of a, an invoice or yeah. whatever, it's probably come from them because they do a lot of that type of work. And he, um, he went there just as a work experience and they ended up keeping him on as an intern. And as a high school senior, they gave him the task of reprogramming. He was in an engineering program at TriStar again, and he pre he reprogrammed a machine that was, you know, think back to like 1980s technology. You had like, <laughs> flip switches and the little uh, a green light and red light and that's <laughs> okay. pretty much what it was he totally digitized that and programmed it so that it was all touchscreen operational oh, wow. and before he left for college that went online and he was able to watch that happen and help train the employees on how to use that mm-hmm. and then guess what he has an opportunity to come back at every break and work for Reynolds and Reynolds. And when he completes his four-year degree, the doors open for him. He already knows where he's going to be working when mm-hmm. he, when he graduates. Wow. So, you know, just some really cool stories like that of students who have gotten connected early and has really set their career path. Yeah. Yeah. Getting those kids to see those opportunities early and realize, um, they can apply themselves and that it's not, that it's not just something, you know, vague waiting for them out there. It's right. Tan- like tangible. Right. In front of them. And then in their learning, they're already thinking how they're going to be using that because they already can picture themselves in the position that they'll be in mm-hmm. when they get out of school. So it, you know, it really brings things to life for them. That's awesome. And what such a great work, you know, like, and I'm sure there's still a lot more to be done. I don't know what would what would you say are the biggest challenges that that you face still, you know, when when it comes to like Ambi achieving its goals or or um, schools and and these families, these kids getting connected with a, a career path. Yeah, I would think the the biggest obstacle is there's still some stigma of you know to be successful that every student needs to go for a traditional four-year degree Mm -hmm. and overcoming that stigma is an obstacle. And that comes, it's getting better at schools, but it still comes from parents because parents naturally want something better for their kids than what they had. And if they didn't have the college degree, they think that that's going to make their children better if they get it. And uh, knowing the opportunities now, you know, if you rewind 20 years ago when those parents were making that decision, it really was a better life if you went and got that four-year degree right away out Mm. of high school because there was really only two paths. There was either straight to college, four-year degree, or you went to a factory that was – dark, dirty, and dangerous because a lot of the high tech stuff just wasn't in place yet. Mm -hmm. And if that was what they experienced, then they're relaying that same message to their children. Yeah. 
Yeah, and a lot has changed. Right, a lot has changed. That's kind of like as parents, we need to kind of like. Yeah, well, you know, this podcast for men, I tell you what, I think of so much about the fact that we put so much stock in our career path as our identity, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the education system wrongly is is a career education system. It should be a kingdom education system that ultimately when we're educating our children, we're preparing them for serving the Lord and ultimately then leading to the next life. And so if I sort of take a little bit of a direction there, we men weren't made to pay bills and die, you know. You know <laughs> right. And I've been, I, and I believe that lie. Like, what are you going to do with your life? You know, and you got to be able to, you know, pay bills, pay bills, provide, and that's, you know, through the glory of God, what are you going to do? I don't know if you can speak to anything about that. And certainly, your faith is central in what you do in that business realm. And I don't, you know, how that. How you how you re, you know I guess speak to that if you could yeah absolutely and uh, a lot of times that's that is a uh, that's a fine line for uh, you know there, there's this sense of you know the man needs to provide and needs to and you know that still exists and that still is an important part you know of a of a godly family is to be able to to be able to provide for your family and to work hard and everything that you do but you know at the same time it always goes back to I, I remember one of the, it was, I don't know if, who, what pastor it was, but the question was, you know, everybody always asks, what do you do? And he said, as, as men of God, we should say, we serve, I serve God through the work that I do at mm-hmm. <laughs> wherever, mm-hmm. like yeah. you're, you're a follower of God first and you're an employee somewhere second. Yeah. And yeah. that really resonated that, you know, that is true. And, you know, the conversation of having, you know, the opportunities locally, what I've noticed is, you know, some of the larger urban areas, you really are almost a slave to what you're doing as far as career wise and anything else, you know, faith family has to take a back seat. Mm-hmm. I think Chad, you mentioned that where a lot of the, a lot of the companies locally, they're, they were founded by faith-filled people yes. and their families still continue to run them on that basis. And there's a lot more opportunity in our area to still be very actively engaged in a church life and be able to maybe attend Bible study on Wednesday night and be able to do a lot of the things that really need to be a part of the daily walk that might not be able to do if you're just chasing the next promotion. And, you know, there's, it's never good to become complacent and content, but if you're doing something that's very meaningful and you can find that purpose and tie that back to your faith, sometimes working to just get to the next level, all of a sudden the importance of that starts to fade away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I see that on a regular basis locally. You you do see that. You mentioned at the very beginning of the of the podcast here the charitable work, you know. And if you, I mean, if you have the privilege of peeking behind the scenes, you don't hear about it in most headlines right. and newspapers. But some of these corporations locally, I don't care if it's agriculture, trucking, manufacturing, construction, they it's it's not just to promote their name when they donate. Like the things that go around here. Um, p- food pantries and the like. Um, yeah, that's them. That's- yeah. A lot of it's done, you know, behind the scenes and mm-hmm. there might not be a news release on it just to see their name on a plaque. Yeah. You know, it's, and being, being a part of a company like that, you know, is, is worth something too. Right. Well, very good. Um, that's a lot of information. I'm sure we could talk about more. Um, we're drawn down to the end and I know I told you, uh, um, beforehand that, that we'd love to have our guests uh, issue a challenge. And we've gotten down to it where we're talking essentially, I think, to parents and, and, and fathers in this case. Um, so I hear this stuff and I'm immediately thinking about my kids. So yeah, what, what would be a challenge for our listeners? I guess my challenge would be uh, when you look at a lot of the local companies, like we just mentioned, a lot of the things that they're doing behind the scenes and uh, to help our community, I would challenge you to look for the companies that are surrounding you on social media 
and follow them because instead of advertisements for the products that they sell or the services that they provide, a lot of their social media is those things that you don't see on a store shelf or you don't see when you see the service truck on the road. It's the things that they do behind the scenes, the organizations that they support. Those are the things that they are both promoting through their social media. And a lot of times there's community events and open houses and opportunities for you to be able to share with your children to help them see, you know, just what the companies are doing right around us so that as they start to mature and go through that career development phase, they remember those things and that starts to stick with them that, you know, it it may be a great place to work. That's part of that stigma, right? Right. And it may be one of the hardest uh, segments to reach. You can get to the schools, the the business guys are the ones that founded Ambi and and now it's like the parents. That's a, that's the other part of that equation with getting some of the young folks to seek opportunity here. Right. Because the parents have such a huge influence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know they always say, "Well, the at the school they're they're with the teachers more than they are with the parents," you know, hours wise. Yeah, and that may be true, but children look up to their parents, and what they even though they don't want to admit it when they get to those teen years, mm-hmm. and I'm nearing that with my daughter. You know, <laughs> she knows more than dad, but. Even though they put that front on, they still look up to and respect what they're hearing from not just their parents, but any adults of influence in their lives. And that'd be a quick and easy way for parents to sort of have their eyes open is through some social media interaction. Right. Okay. Very good. Appreciate that uh, word. And I, Curtis, I appreciate you coming on and kind of sharing your story and a little bit about Ambi. Yeah, it's been great catching up. Um you know, both of you guys are doing a great service to our community, and it's uh, always a pleasure talking with both of you. So yeah, yeah. it's been yeah. fun. Yeah, glad we could record it. <laughs> we'll make sure we'll put Ambi in the show notes so people can go check that out. And anything else in, in the way of a recommendation where they could find some information apart from the website? Um, I'll follow us on Facebook yeah. and LinkedIn if you're part of the LinkedIn okay. community. Um, we like to post a lot of student highlights mm-hmm. on uh, what's been going on. And some of those stories, like I told you, um, the young man from Coldwater that works at Reynolds and Reynolds, that's actually coming out tomorrow. That's on my list for tomorrow morning nice. is to, As to post his story. So awesome. be looking for it. Okay. Good deal. Looks like we got our marching orders. Let's roll. Thanks for tuning in to the Manhood Restored podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at Manhood Restored Podcast. To check out past episodes and show notes, go to manhoodrestored.tv. You can send us feedback and episode ideas to mightymen at manhoodrestored.tv. That's mightymen at manhoodrestored.tv. Be blessed and be brave. Until next time, mighty men of valor. <laughs>